So I wanted to. Um, I'm so sorry that there's very <laughs> loud music playing in the background. <laughs> it's okay. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, I have a lot of street noise here. <laughs> it's testing my mental strength. I'm so my sorry. My ability to please, focus. Please continue. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Great song, though. <laughs> they must be stopped at a red light. Oh. Right. <laughs> I th- They're just trying to boost our spirits. Oh, my God. It just keeps so going. with John Heffernan, um, <laughs> who's a violinist and a civic orchestra fellow and um, essentially the, the coordinator of this whole program, Closets Are for Clothes. Um, thank you for being here, John. Thank you for having me, Audrey. <laughs> um, so I, wa- <laughs> I wanted to ask you first, so you're, um, you're a civic orchestra fellow or did are you still a fellow? Do you still have more time as a fellow or was this your last year? Uh, this was my first year as a fellow. This is your first year. And okay. in civic. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So I still have one, one year, one more year. I'm coming back uh, for another year as a fellow and a civic member. Okay. Um, and then of course you can apply for a third year extension, but um, kind of my goal right now is to also take uh, bigger professional orchestra auditions. Um, okay, cool. So hopefully that will be the next step. So what, kind, we'll what kinds of, like, responsibilities and stuff do you have as a, an orchestra fellow? Um, we have a lot more than just the regular membership, which is playing in the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, we are expected to go out in the community and work with um, a, a really uh, diverse group of people. We go into the Chicago Public School System and pre- present this project called CSO Connect, Um, where we do give a 45 minute presentation, um, uh, to kids, uh, ranging in ages from say like six to 20. Um, and we basically just like teach them, um, about like the building blocks of music activities on rhythm or melody harmony, um, as well as, uh, perform different pieces for them that have been arranged for our ensemble of the fellowship. Mm -hmm. Um, we also do our own group projects where we get assigned different neighborhoods of Chicago. Like I was on the West side project Mm -hmm. this time and we, um, got funding from the Nguani Institute to go, uh, which is the, the, like, um, the engagement component of the Chicago symphony orchestra. Mm -hmm. Um, we got funding to go and work with a high school, um, called Westinghouse prep. And we basically just gave them sectionals and uh, we're also going to have them come and observe one of our civic rehearsals. But unfortunately, due to the strike, that oh. kind of deter- deter- deterred some of those plans. <laughs> <laughs> Deteriorate. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> um, yeah. And so um, it's, a, it's a lot more uh, of an uh, engagement and learning how to um, 
basically take music outside of the concert hall mm-hmm. uh, and bring it to the community that you're in. Cool. So it was um, sort of in in conjunction with this institute that's sort of like the engagement part of Civic that you ended up putting together Closets Are for Clothes. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, like how and when this project started to come together? Yeah. Um, yeah, so this this project, Closets Are for Clothes, is funded by the Naguani Institute at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually all Civic members, regular members, fellows, uh, are and were able to apply for a grant from this organization. Oh, very cool. Um, and you apply in early January um, with, uh, with an interview, and then a few weeks later they tell you if you received funding or not for your project. Um, fellows do have a little bit of an advantage because with our group projects that we do in the fellowship, we actually already go through this process of learning how to write grants and meeting with, um, um, entrepreneurial leaders in the Chicago area who teach us the ways to really go about this in a, in a professional way. So, mm-hmm. um, that helps a lot. Um, but yeah, so that we got, we get funding from the Naguani Institute. Um, and I've always, you know, sat with friends over coffee and been like, wouldn't it be cool to do something greater than just the typical concert? Right. Um, And so this really finally gave me an an opportunity to do something um, in a very clear way because usually it's like you just don't know where to start. You have an idea, but you don't know where to start or who to reach out to or where to apply for for funding. Yeah. Um, And the... The thing that really started to generate my thoughts regarding this uh, were actually through the interview process for the fellowship mm. with Civic. Um, we, the year that I applied, there we had to do a second round interview. Um, I think it was for the the violin candidates, uh, or I, have, I don't know all the candidates, but I had to do two interviews. <laughs> and the second interview, I think it was for the violins. The second interview mm-hmm. I had to do, um, they asked for a like an example of a project proposal that would not be implemented. Um, but it would just be an idea to see like, you know, where my mind's at and what kind of ideas I have. Um, and so my first thought was, okay, so as you know, an open gay man, um, and also a professional classical musician, like those two things are huge for my identity. Mm -hmm. So I want to, um, combine those. And growing up, classical music really helped me kind of navigate my identity. Uh, and I have said um, before to many people that, like, uh, the, the music room was really a safe space for me mm-hmm. where um, it gave me a home where people weren't questioning who I was. They just started thinking of me as the violin kid and, oh, well, yeah. he doesn't do this or this because he's not dating someone because he's with, he has to work on his violin playing. Uh-huh. Um, so my initial thought was, oh, I want to – give classical music to LGBTQ youth because it helped me so much as a youth. Yeah. Um, but then talking to some mentors and getting ready to pitch this idea for the interview, I realized, and they advised me that it's a great idea, but that kind of a project is really hard to measure um, the impact because it's yeah. all very just like emotionally based um, and <laughs> really long term. I hate that that's like, a bad thing like right yeah <laughs> it's like oh we can't quantify it <laughs> yeah right exactly well and okay so so i should clarify too to, to be fair in this interview 
part of it, part of the requirement for oh, my pitch. Oh, it had to be sort of a was, measurable. I had to measure. But, okay. but also the other flip side, which goes to your point, is that usually when you are applying for grant funding, right. they, there is, they want to be able to measure the impact because they want to make sure that their money is going towards something right. um, that has importance. You know, so they're not just throwing, quote unquote, throwing their money You're away. You're like, I'm not an MBA student, okay? Like, what do you want? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um so then, okay, I was like, okay, um, so I definitely want to still combine the two communities that really represent my identity, classical music and mm-hmm. LGBTQ community. Um, and another thing that's always kind of bothered me, which has its own place, but I feel like is not as impactful as it could be, is when people throw kind of like gay-themed recitals where they like program Tchaikovsky, for example, who everyone knows was gay, but like didn't actually write a piece that specifically reflected the lgbtq experience right. or the queer experience yeah um so i was like well i want to get pieces and like the first piece that comes to mind that maybe is the closest to actually doing that uh, is Crigliano's aid symphony mm-hmm. um which is incredible um but really i'm you could probably count on your two hands the amount of pieces that do something like that and are right. really you know well known um basically uh I decided that I wanted to commission three young LGBTQ composers um, to write pieces about some kind of queer narrative. And so, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is the coming out experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I chose that because, at least in my life, and I think for many people, even though it's different for everyone, that experience is hugely pivotal Mm -hmm. um, in kind of defining oneself and accepting oneself. and then I also came to realize over the process that like it's also a, a universal experience where I feel like every human being has to come out in some way, basically accept some something about themselves that's um, different or not accepted by society. And yeah. by embracing that and presenting your true self to the world, like you are coming out. Yeah. Um, so I wanted them to write pieces, short chamber pieces, kind of depicting their coming out experience. Um, and then also... Um, have it performed by LGBTQ musicians. Um, so it's representation both on stage and then also just in the classical music canon of repertoire. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So uh, the composers who are involved in this, the composers you yeah. commissioned, um, are Kelly Sheehan, uh, Devin Clara Fanslow, yep. uh, and Sean Ellis Huss- Hussey? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, and had you uh, had you worked with these composers before? Did you know them very well? So um, I'd actually never worked with any of them before. Okay. But I knew Sean from Roosevelt. We both did grad school at Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually sat right next to each other at graduation. Um, so I knew him and I knew a little bit of his work. Um, I knew that he had a good reputation and does a lot, has done and still does a lot of um, uh, kind of like activist work uh, with his compositions Mm -hmm. um they always have a lot of meaning and serve a really strong purpose um to help people so i knew he was someone that would be a great ally for this project and the other two composers i found through friends um and yeah i've i mean i i love all of them um they're each they each represent a unique perspective Mm -hmm. um sean is a gay man Devin Clara Fanslow is a trans female and uh, Kelly Sheehan is a lesbian. Mm-hmm. So I got really, uh, the, the idea originally was to have that kind of equal representation of those three different perspectives within mm-hmm. our community. 
Um, and I was really pleasantly surprised when I was able to actually find super talented young composers who represented those identities. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and the other people you're performing with are, um, I'm going to need your help on pronunciation. Yeah, the, are your, your oboist, Alex... Lidkey. Lidkey. Alex Lidkey is playing oboe, Alex Hecker on bass clarinet, yes. and Jordan Thomas on harp. Yes. Um, and did you, had same question, did you know them or, or work with them before? So I knew and had worked with Alex Lidkey and Jordan Thomas. Mm -hmm. Alex Lidkey and I both went to the Cleveland Institute of Music together for our undergrad. Mm -hmm. And um, he just recently moved back to Chicago with uh, his boyfriend in January. So um, he's super talented, and I knew he, having just moved back, his schedule was lighter than it is already becoming. Mm -hmm. So I snatched him up, <laughs> and I was like, Lay you're going to do this. Um, and Jordan and Thomas, uh, we both went to Roosevelt together and play in Civic together. Mm -hmm. um, and he's an incredible harpist, one of my closest friends in Chicago. So I was so glad when he uh, was able to join and then Alex Hecker is a really good friend of the composer Kelly. Mm -hmm. um, and Kelly was the one who said that she had um, this friend Alex and she really wanted to write for her um, awesome. or for, for them. Excuse me. So, um, yeah, I was uh, it, it basically the instrumentation. I, I originally just wanted it to be for a smaller ensemble for logistical reasons. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it just turned into, OK, who do we know and who is in our community? And like, um, who's going to be enthusiastic about this? And exactly, kind of exactly. And quite frankly, also willing to do it for for little money. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's. I mean, that's a thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. So, did anything like in terms of like the rehearsal process and just putting this all together? Um, was there anything about these pieces? Um, and also about like I don't know how much you guys like discussed beforehand like the composer's experiences with coming out um and i'm just wondering if there's anything about the pieces themselves or about the experiences that they're reflecting on um that maybe um took you by surprise or yeah. or presented as as challenging to you and your own perspective your own background that kind of thing um yeah it's been a really um kind of amazing uh evolution seeing this project start and then now come to conclusion on June 23rd um, at Constellation. Uh, basically, you know, when I started, you know, my, so my experience coming out uh, and my narrative was relatively simplistic in a way where it's, it's very kind of textbook, like right before I graduated from high school, um, I had been thinking about this for a while. I had other friends who had come out. So it was on my mind and, um, you know, I'm an only child, so I just had my parents to tell, um, and I was going to do it after I graduated, and then I realized it was just too overwhelming, so I came out to them, and, you know, it took them a, just a little bit to come fully around, but they basically completely accepted it right off the bat, mm -hmm. and so then it really felt like, okay, I came out to my parents, and then I came out to the rest of the world, and my new life is beginning, and now I'm this out, open, queer person, and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um which is kind of like the basic narrative that is told, I feel like, for you know the coming out story and for gay people. Um, but what I realized actually talking to all three composers and we discuss in this concert experience um, is that they all had different experiences from that. And yeah. that I always knew, of course, that the coming out experience was unique, but not as unique as it actually is. Um, 
for example, Sean, um, the our, our gay composer, is saying that you know he never really had like a specific like sit down moment with his parents where he's like, okay, I'm gay, but which is something that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, he just kind of started dating men and women, okay. and it was kind of like as soon as he started dating guys, that was just like who he was dating. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a really like specific conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. For me personally, the most interesting story is Devin's, um, the trans perspective, because she really had to come out twice. Um, first, she came out as a gay man because that was, she says, like the easiest thing to do. And then she realized, no, this isn't who I am, which is ironic that that's like the easiest thing to do. Right. Um, <laughs> and then, but but, it, but it's true in comparison. And, um, and then she, you know, kind of had to be like, no, this is who I really am and had already started taking um, hormones by the time that she came out to her parents who Mm -hmm. are also extremely religious. So that was a very long process of self-discovery and acceptance. Um, Sort of in stages. Yeah, very much so. And I think uh, Kelly had mentioned that she had never actually been out without being with somebody. Oh, okay. Um, so like her connection to coming out, it has to do with like uh, a gay relationship. Uh-huh. Um, so, so yeah, they're all just very different. Yeah. Um, and it's reflected in their pieces. Yeah. Um, Sean and I ended up doing improv sessions that he recorded to kind of get source material for the piece. Okay. And we were improving on, uh, different themes like, you know, we would talk about when we first came out and all the sexual energy and or suppressed sexual energy um, and different desires um, and that kind of pivotal time of like self-exploration. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then like, for example, we were like um, we were doing we were just kind of playing around and my E string kept squeaking. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, this is so annoying. I'm so sorry. And then I was like, wait a minute. I was like, this kind of sound like reminds me of like adolescence when your voice keeps cracking (laughs) and so we're like okay well let's like play with this idea of um the e-string squeak and this idea of kind of like big interval jumps Uh out of nowhere so we started improving on that idea that theme um and then we're like whoa okay like this voice register thing it's like you start out as a kid with a really high voice and Mm -hmm. then it goes to a low voice for them as men Mm -hmm. um and so it's this kind of like journey from um, adolescence, uh, youth, and to, to like manhood, and then that also relates to self-discovery and finding who you really are, finding yeah. your voice, if you will. Yeah. Um, so then we just played around with that kind of like high to low register as well, and so all these different ideas kind of came together um, to just help inform um, his his piece. Totally. Um, Devin, um, her her experience. Um, really shaped like she um she was basically like her piece is, is actually great the title is um i don't know can i can i curse on this? oh yeah yeah <laughs> her piece is called fuck it <laughs> and it's because it's basically summing up like that moment where you're just like and we, i think anyone who decides to come out or just fully accept themselves and throw themselves into the world mm-hmm. like you just have this fuck it moment where you're like okay fuck it like i'm i don't care what people think i'm i'm just gonna live my truth right because it does you need that kind of impetus to throw yourself out there yeah um and so 
yeah, her piece is really beautiful. It ends with kind of like us playing and spoken word. Mm-hmm. And um, she's actually improving on the trumpet on top of all of us awesome. playing throughout the piece. So um, kind of reflects like her, her journey, um, like moments in her life of, you know, just kind of improving um, and like her role in her life. Yeah. Um, and Kelly's is super experimental. Um, it's all about like sound um kind of effects that the instruments can make mm-hmm. um but the most the coolest part for me is the lighting like basically it's written for like, a pitch black room mm-hmm. and you have to play on ipads oh, and okay. she, yeah, i've never seen someone do this before where she <clears throat> she has page turns but you turn the page before you're done with the page mm-hmm. so that it turns and each page is a different color Oh, so okay. that like the colors are from the iPads reflect onto the performers, oh. and so the page turns are actually also in rhythm, <laughs> which oh, is oh my God. really complicated, <laughs> and like and sometimes it's yeah it's just like ah, <laughs> it's a little bit of a struggle. I'm uh-huh. struggle busting a little bit with that, um, <laughs> doing that like. It's pedal okay, work. you have time. You have time. <laughs> right. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I need to go home and practice that. Um, but yeah, so it's really and, and like, there's a point where you're literally turning the page like boom, boom, boom. So there's just wow. this splash of color. Like oh, hitting the so performers, cool. um, yeah, and it'll be really cool when we do it right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so hers is really uh, pretty theatrical in that mm-hmm. sense, um, and yeah, I can't remember the name of the artist, but she was really inspired by this one famous artist who's done a lot of um, stuff that's representative of queer life, um, mm-hmm. like some of uh, example, like some of his famous work has been like um like he just has light bulbs in an exhibition and the like over with that are fun, uh, um fueled by batteries and so over time they the light bulb goes out okay. and then you replace the battery and the light bulb goes and that's like the exhibit or the one famous one that i've actually seen here in chicago is a pile of candy oh i think yeah yes yeah he's really famous but i can't the name is I escaping can't remember me the name either. um the and, and you're 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 actually supposed to take a piece candy, of candy and the yeah. candy's really shiny and pretty and like you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course it's supposed to represent gay men and the AIDS crisis. Um, yeah. And like each piece of candy is a life and you, you take them and you're supposed cool. to take them. And, but then of course the pile ends up being refilled. And so it's this death and rebirth um, idea that she really was um, playing with in her piece. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, wow. Cause we had, we had talked about how also just in a queer narrative, you can't, talk about like a queer life without having it being impacted in some way by the AIDS crisis right? and just by AIDS in general. Um, because whether you have it or a friend of yours has it, or you just know the history, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a part of the narrative thing. That's part of the, the yeah. queer story. And even if you're, you're staying healthy every time you go and get tested, it's scary. Right. It's, it's just this, it's like something that you've been like raised to fear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. For and for good reason, of course. Of course, um, yeah. But of course, then there's also this stereotype that goes along with it that is harmful and hard to destigmatize. Absolutely. Um, so I was wondering, um, did you write the ev- event like description um, online? <laughs> I uh, I had help writing it. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So well, there's this, this part near the end, you know, saying how um, how. Uh, you know, you want people to to understand how like the LGBTQ mm. um, narrative is an integral part of classical music, and I 
it made me wonder like how do you feel like how do you do you, how do you feel that that community and that narrative is currently fitting into the classical world mm. or or how it's not fitting into the classical world right um, uh thanks for you thank you for that question because that um was definitely something that i did right <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah basically it's like I, I i wrote the description but i had a good friend of mine who's been doing a lot of um kind of like uh, marketing and totally. publishing things for her ensemble, just kind of edit it and, re mm -hmm. and word it in a way that was engaging <laughs> and that would actually make you want to come. Sometimes you need help. That's right. fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't do everything on my own. Um, no, but that that is um, a statement that I've had even since I applied for the grant. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, one of the, like, also criteria for applying for these grants and like coming up with this proposal was um, kind of like how would you bring people into the concert hall like because it was originally something it had to do with the CSO so they wanted us to be able to like bring people into the CSO um, and it got me thinking about the Chicago Symphony and symphonies in general and things that I would want to see change and it's I personally feel that it's just kind of taken for granted that like, oh, gay people are artsy, queer people are artsy, and uh -huh. they'll be interested in the arts, and they'll they they come to Symphony Center, and there there is like a strong community that does, and mm -hmm. especially like I've I've seen a lot of wealthy older gay male couples um, who are like on the board or huge donors or things like that, and yeah. so we do have influence obviously in classical music, and we there is a presence, um, but when I'm playing in my Stonewall Dodgeball League um, or uh, kickball or whatever, or just out at the bars and I bring up that I have a concert or that I'm a violinist, it's like I'm an alien. <laughs> like, like no one knows where Symphony Center is. Uh -huh. No one's ever been. Oh, dear. Um, and to be fair, like, you know, most of the people are in their 20s, and so some of those tickets are pretty expensive. Right. Um, Thankfully, I've been able to get a, quite a few of them to come to Civic concerts because those are free. Right. So come to Civic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, there there is still a, like a disconnect, and it's I don't think that classical music is really um, targeting them as an audience. Because mm -hmm. um, like I said, I do think that on some level we're taken for granted, um, and I I want to see that narrative change. Like I want. I want people to because because like I said earlier in the interview, um, for me classical music and being gay like they're so intertwined, mm -hmm. and I kind of came to this realization a few years ago that I don't actually think I would be playing the violin to this day if it hadn't been that I that I am gay, mm -hmm. um, because it really got me through those difficult adolescent years of being in the closet and being insecure about myself. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it, it was a, the music room was a safe space for me. Um, just read me the question one more time so I make sure I'm sorry, really answering sorry. it. So just, I, I guess I was just wondering if it, how you feel the LGBTQ community and, and narrative yeah. um, fits into classical music or, or if it, if it, if you don't right. feel like it's necessarily has a, a place and you would like that to change. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, so basically at, at the moment I feel like we are just taking taken for granted a little bit and mm -hmm. i think we should be catered to a little bit more than we are because mm -hmm. um, i think there is a market there and an audience there that um is not being fully engaged mm -hmm. um and you know it's partially because like this is my personal perspective this this queer um view 
Um, and I want to see myself represented in an industry in a field that I love and I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what that was a huge impetus for putting on this program. Um, but yeah, I, I like I brought up um, if, if you look, um, they always say that in order to ha- like get ideas for kind of revolutionizing your own industry, you look, you know, at a different industry, you look, um, you know, um, like at a hotels or, or like what is someone else doing that we're not doing? You, know, you right. have to invent the wheel. You just have to um, just look at like adjacent markets and adjacent like exactly and yeah right. And so of course the, the topic is always how do we bring people into the symphony hall? You know, um, and it's always a crisis. The audiences are dwindling, <laughs> and there have been publications about that since like the early 1900s. Right. And the, you know. apparently it's been the <laughs> old th- the scene has been dying for decades. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but so you know, I like just one simple thought: the you know all the different sports leagues kind of around the country they have an LGBTQ day where it, it, the, it's an event for us. Mm-hmm. We're welcome there on that day and they make a huge deal of it. And, you know, Chicago Symphony Orchestra has a concert, has co- like three concerts every week. Yeah. Um, why can't one of those weeks be an LGBTQ event week? Right. Um, especially when a lot of the donors are LGBTQ and, um, yeah, there's a handful of uh, gay musicians that are also in the symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really nice to see them not just represented, but also res- like respected yeah. um, in a very public way. And I think that would really change the perspective of, okay, the symphony center isn't just a place for like rich, straight people. Um, anyone is welcome. Uh, and, you know, everyone up in Andersonville or Boys Town which is, uh, you know, two of the big gay communities in Chicago. Because, oh, okay, you know, downtown there is a place for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say sort of like to sum up. Sorry, my brain stopped working for a second. Uh, to okay, same. <laughs> um, to kind of s- like sum up, what are like some the main things that you would like people coming to Closets Over Clothes um, to, to like take away from this? Mm. Um, well the first thing that comes to mind is just that um, everyone is welcome and that I mean I don't even want to say that this is a classical music concert right? Um, because I feel like even that has a stigma right um, so I just want I, th- I like feel like how you how it's described in the, like it's right. like a musical kaleidoscope. Yes, I like that a lot. I <laughs> like that too, and that was not my <laughs> my wording. I wouldn't have come up with that either. Right. Like, yeah, I was like, whoa, that's pretty genius. You're like, yes. Yeah, I was like, there's no other word that really fits it. Um, but that was important that I didn't want to be like, come here, this classical concert, right? Because first of all, it's not like really that. It's if anything, it's it's you know it's new music, mm-hmm. um, and it's really like it's an experience it's not a concert um we have interludes in between the two pieces and it's supposed to be this kind of 45 minute meditation on yeah. this queer narrative coming out um where we you, yeah we we start with introductions and then we have electronic track interludes um kind of bringing up um with that that sean Huss, ellis Hussey has um created to talk about discrimination laws and restrictions that still affect uh, LGBTQ people in the United States, um, which then and then each piece and interlude kind of flow into one another, and only at the very end do we ask for applause. 
um, so that everything can just kind of like settle in as you process. Yeah. Um, and we actually had our first uh, concert on June 3rd at the University Club downtown, cool. um, which was for an audience of mostly um, straight, white, older people. Um, and it was, we were really excited about that one because we knew it would be really impactful because they would not go out of their way normally to see something like right. this. Right, yeah. Um, and we had people verbally responding to things that they were hearing. Oh, wow. Um, just being like oh, kind of overwhelmed by the information and the in injustice that still is present. Yeah. Um, so I would say if you, you know, just want to have a genuine experience and discussion um, about the queer narrative and see it represented in this kind of classical world, um, this was like the perfect thing for you to come to and um and everybody is welcome i like i said earlier everyone can relate to this yeah um because straight gay bi trans black white um hispanic it doesn't matter who you are what makes you you mm -hmm. we've all felt insecure and unworthy at some point in our lives for some reason um, and so everyone can relate to this content. Totally. Yay. Um, so this is happening Sunday, June 23rd at 830 mm -hmm. at Constellation. Yes. Um, it's called Closets Are for Clothes. Um, and it's tickets are $15. Correct. Um, you can pay online. I, th I mean, people should just get their tickets like online ahead of time. Otherwise, right. I think you have to pay cash at the door because Constellation is that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, don't miss it. Sunday, June 23rd, 830 at Constellation, 15 bucks. Um, it is a very worthwhile 15 bucks. So, um, yes. Thank you, John Heffernan. <laughs> Thank you, Audrey. It's my pleasure to be here. And uh, we'll see you on Sunday the 23rd. Sounds good.